The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Trey Wilson, the Flying Squirrels broadcaster, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a beautiful Wednesday here in Central Virginia. The sun's out. It's uh, starting to feel a little bit like fall. Uh, starting to feel a lot like the middle of football season. Yeah, everything's going well here. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I know it's uh, it's uh, only Wednesday, but already Wednesday. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm ready for the weekend, but it's been a good day so far. You're right. The weather has turned almost all of a sudden. I think it was like this past Saturday. It went from like 80 to 60 in about five minutes with that storm that came through, which is how it goes. But uh, it's been nice weather so far. I can't uh, can't really uh, hate that too much. And I don't really want it to get too much colder, but that's just the reality, I guess. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the cold. After spending several years up in pennsylvania and a few other places up there uh, i will take the moderate winters of central virginia that's true yeah the winters aren't too bad here we did have i'm trying to remember we did have like a significant snowfall or ice storm this past winter but otherwise it's usually pretty warm and not too bad pennsylvania is a lot worse in the winter so it shouldn't be too bad here but uh yeah, so obviously you are, like I said, the lead voice for the Flying Squirrels on the radio. You've been doing that for a couple of seasons, and you lost a season. Everybody lost a season, and more importantly, our whole 2020 was upside down with COVID. So how was it for you being back at the ballpark, in the booth, being able to cover and, and see minor league baseball every day? How was that for you? Uh, that first game back was was such a it was such an emotional day i mean after 2020 you know all the uncertainty that came with that uh internally within our organization and and for for us here in this household um it was good to be back uh 2020 was such a strange year uh just obviously not glossing over the the health and right societal impacts of the year but just for the for us the flying squirrels you know doing movies in the outfield and turning the diamond into a disc golf course and you know i was doing things like bagging popcorn and and uh, and packing up the concession stand orders for our socially distanced events that we were having at the ballpark. Uh, it was great to be back to what we do this for in 2021 for so many reasons. Uh, the first game on opening day in May was, was really great, but then it really hit in July when um, when we got to open back up to full capacity. We had our first full uh, almost 10,000 fan games at the diamond again on July 3rd and July 4th. Uh, that's when it really felt like we were back and things kind of felt good. Uh, you know, hearing that roar at the diamond, it's such an incredible, uh, atmosphere at that ballpark. It's so loud with the canopy that hangs over the fans. And, um, that was the first time that we really felt it, at least for me, that it really felt like we were back rolling, uh, for baseball things never really got fully back to normal of course in 2021 during the baseball season of course they're still not uh in, and uh there's there's still a lot of unanswered questions and uncertainties going into 2022 but uh we were awfully grateful to get what we got for 2021 yeah it was interesting to see how things would play out in 2020 in terms of like you mentioned movies in the outfield and things like that and you know, I was an intern with the Flying Squirrels back in 2013 in the Augusta Green Jackets in 16. So I was thinking about, 
you know, my peers who were still with the Green Jackets, for instance, and what they were doing for a whole year without baseball and how they were able to essentially still have something to do work-wise, but they did the same thing with different events at the stadium. So, you know, it, it was interesting to see how you were able to, or how the Squirrels, for instance, were able to, uh, I don't mean just keep busy, obviously, but still have something going on, <laughs> you know, uh, still have something for fans to be able to come to the ballpark for, even though there wasn't baseball or the intended type of activity that you would normally, you know, associate, obviously, with, uh, for instance, the Squirrels or the Diamond and, obviously for people to kind of get their mind off the reality of what was going on at that time. Yeah. You know, the flying squirrels and you know, this, um, the organization is pretty well equipped to do a lot of things other than baseball. It's part of the foundation of what the organization is. Uh, so thankfully we already had the people with the right mentalities to go out and, and make some things happen. We wanted to provide a safe and welcoming place for people to come uh, during a time when there weren't a lot of opportunities to get out of the house. There weren't a lot of opportunities to uh, to go do something other than sit in your house in the middle of the summer of 2020. And uh, the Flying Squirrels, again, thankfully, the organization is already equipped to to be more than a baseball team. It's been that way since the team was founded over a decade ago. Uh, and uh, we were able to roll right into 2020 and, and make something out of that time. Uh, as something that I felt like, and a lot of people, based on their feedback, felt like was a a positive and meaningful contribution to the community during that year. Yeah. And I know it helps to have a guy like Parney there to uh, help make, like you said, make something out of what that year was. So uh, awesome stuff there. But yeah, so talking about the, the flying squirrels on the field, they went 57 and 56. Uh, I know it's hard with minor league baseball to either project how things would go over a, a full year, considering player transactions and all that stuff. But were you even more, was it even more hard to maybe project just based on the fact that all these guys were basically coming off of no real baseball season, or maybe they were at like extended spring training or something, but not actually being able to play, you know, meaningful games in 2020. Uh, did you notice any kind of, whether you want to call it rust or any adjustment getting for guys getting back into it, or did it just seem like, you know, coming off an off season and starting opening day again, did it just kind of seem normal? Yeah, there were a little bit of uh, there was a little bit of an adjustment period getting back. I think that here in Richmond, probably ninety percent of our players didn't play in any structured, organized baseball in twenty twenty. We had a couple of players who were at the Giants alternate site in Sacramento during twenty twenty. Um, there were some players. I know a couple of guys played in a league uh, out in Kentucky. They played in, uh, I believe it was Lexington and Florence. Uh, they had kind of a makeshift league uh in the summer of 2020 in kentucky uh there was another similar similar league down in down in texas where i know aaron blair pitched at least a couple of games uh, he was a pitcher for us this year so some players had gotten some on-field experience in 2020 but there wasn't much uh so there was definitely some rust in the beginning of the year and i think that from talking to the people who know what they're talking about it seemed like the pitchers got it rolling a little bit more quickly than the hitters did, which honestly in this league, from what I've seen over the last several years is usually the case in a normal year. Uh, when the teams report in April, the pitchers are usually, uh, they have a little bit more of an advantage than, than the hitters, right. uh, certainly at the diamond, yeah. at the diamond in Richmond where the hitters have a, have a tougher time than pitchers on most days as it is anyway it's, it's always been a pitcher friendly ballpark but once things got rolling after the first couple of weeks it just seemed like everything was 
uh, was kind of back to normal as far as how the actual games went. I think that there might have been some players who, because they lost a year, uh, they might have been pressing a little bit more because their timeline got pushed back an extra year. And when you're, uh, I mean, it's it's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure when you're trying to get the minor league ladder as it is. And, uh, you know, there were some players who probably after the 2019 season, you know, they, they thought they'd be starting 2020 in double A, or there were some players who were in, who were in double A in 2020, who maybe were going to repeat double A briefly and then get a shot at triple A. And, uh, they were, you know, felt like they were getting closer to the big leagues at the end of 2019. And then for a lot of players, their, their timeline just stopped. For a year uh of course time kept going they got a year older their contracts got a year further along uh but they missed the entire year of a chance of having a chance to develop and showcase what they could do um we did have a couple players who skipped over a level uh or they briefly played in high a at the beginning of this season like killian um you know frankie Chistato never played at the, the high level, there are a few other guys who they just moved uh, right along that same timeline. But for most guys, that wasn't the case. So I think that, although I never heard anybody necessarily say it, I, I'm sure that there was some mindsets of maybe a little bit where they were having to press because they had missed an entire year in their minor league timeline. Yeah, definitely. And then it was probably also interesting from the from an organizational standpoint, just for the fact that the San Francisco Giants had such an amazing regular season and year, that I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe those in the organization might have thought they'd be good, but I don't know if anyone could have seen 100-plus wins. So I'm sure at, say, the trade deadline, there might have been, you know, the increased amount of whispers or whatever that goes on in terms of trade deadline, who could be dealt, who could go where. I remember dealing with that in, in 2016 with the Green Jackets when the Giants and the Rays hooked up on that trade with Lucius Fox and Michael Santos, and I think Matt Moore was going the other way. I think it was Matt Moore. But uh, anyways, I just know what it can be yeah, like, especially yeah. for minor leaguers. So at the trade deadline, the Flying Squirrels, uh, there were two trades that impacted us pretty hard. And it was um, and that's that's the nature of being an affiliate of a team that's in contention at the deadline. You're probably going to lose some players. Um, but the Chris Bryant trade, uh, the Giants made with the Cubs. We had Caleb Killian in Richmond, who went to the Chicago Cubs in that trade. And he was one of the best pitchers. In, uh, in on the planet <laughs> at that point he had been really really strong since coming to double a and really since signing with the giants and uh, he's out in the arizona fall league right now with the cubs and then uh there was also a trade with the angels the giants got tony watson back uh he came back to san francisco and jose Marte was a big hundred mile per hour arm uh late inning reliever for richmond he got tr he was part of that trade he went to the angels and he actually climbed to the big leagues with Los Angeles for a few games this year, uh, which is always awesome to see, whether it's with the Giants or, or with anybody. I always love seeing the guys that were with us uh, going to make their big league debuts. So that worked out well for Marte to get a chance to go uh, to the major league to contribute uh, for a few games with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, but that was another one. Trade deadline is always probably one of the most stressful days of the year. Uh, and the days leading up to it, there's so much uh, nervous energy in the room. Um, so many players who are, you know, everybody. I mean, there's, there could be a deal involving anybody where they're thinking, you know, maybe my life is about to drastically change. Uh, it's, it's crazy how that, how that goes uh, for those players. It's such a crazy time. And yeah, Caleb Killian was the guy I was thinking of when he mentioned that name. I was like, I think he was the one that was involved or part of that Bryant trade. So um, yeah, I can only, I mean, not that I can 
put myself in their place and in a player's place in terms of that mindset and trade deadline, but I totally understand how stressful and, you know, like you said, minor leaguers just trying to just get their, their own careers established and it's hard to get uprooted, I'm sure. But, uh, well, there's two, there are two sides to it really. And I think that a lot of guys kind of have this realization where you have this moment of, man, I just got let go by the team that drafted or signed me. And, uh, what does that mean that they think about me? Well, then you have the thought of, oh, well, this organization over here values me enough to think they want me on their team. Uh, and especially for guys like for guys like Killian and Marte who were traded for major leaguers and minor leaguers get traded for major leaguers. It's got to be a little bit of a confidence boost, you know, for Killian to be traded for Chris Bryant, who's one of the biggest stars in the game, and for Marte to be traded for Tony Watson, who's been, uh, I think, one of the steadiest relief pitchers over the last decade obviously the Giants liked Watson they knew what they were going to get because they'd had him a few years before uh so there's there's a I think there's a little bit of back and forth within the minds of those players when they're involved in those deals and they're thinking I can't believe these guys don't want me here anymore but also this which isn't and then they realize well maybe that's not exactly it but then also well these guys over here value me enough that they're gonna you know they're gonna bring me over in exchange for one of their one of their faces of their organization in the, in the Cubs and Giants, the Chris Bryant trade, uh, that certainly in that situation. So it, it, it strains the, I've, I've seen it happen several times in several organizations where a guy goes through that kind of range of emotions over the course of a, of a, a 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, that's a good, that's definitely a good point too. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, on the one hand, it's probably hard. It's who knows what they're thinking, range of emotions, but some guys are like, you know what, this is awesome. I'm going to go to this opportunity this situation, maybe this team needs to be quicker, that type of mindset. So I could definitely see how it can be hard or exciting or both <laughs> for all players involved, even major leaguers that are established. They're getting traded. It might be hard for them, or maybe they're going to a contender, you know, but uh, it's definitely for a fan, it might be fun, but it's also stressful, more stressful, obviously, for players and all those. And even the minor league staff, like, I don't know about you specifically, but. I'm sure you had enough to keep up with too in terms of any roster turnover for games and doing your preparation or any any interviews or uh, even pronunciations for player names for broadcasting. So I totally understand because I was dealing with all that for our broadcasters, helping them with pronunciations or getting any info that they needed. So I totally get that. It's my least favorite day of the year. Yeah. I know a lot of baseball fans talk about how they love trade deadline day and there's so much that goes into it. I hate it. Uh, having been with minor league affiliates of teams who are in contention many times and having to having to be uh, my own selfish stressors that come up on those days, it's my least favorite day. I, I, I look forward to August 1st most years. <laughs> I was uh, that year in 2016, I was the media relations marketing guy. So I was basically of, of my many hats that I wore for that that job, that internship. I was driving guys to the airport all the time. I was, you know, going to the clubhouse and making trying to make our team or manager or whatever it was comply with with whatever marketing stuff we had going on. So I was like, oh my God, these these days are so stressful. But no, I, I totally relate. I totally get that. And you talked about how, you know, pitchers have maybe more of an advantage or not more well, yeah, more of an advantage or um I don't want to say an easier time, but you know, in the Eastern League it might be more of like a pitcher's league, but were you surprised by David VR, who had 20 home runs this past season? Were you kind of surprised by the amount of power that he displayed or the, su the success that he had offensively? 
I didn't know what to expect when he got here. Um, but there are every year, there are usually a handful of players that um, really make a name for themselves at double A that might not have been on the radar. I think David VR was probably the prime example of that, maybe in the entire league this year. Uh, you know, nowhere to be found on any top 30 prospect list. Wasn't a super high draft pick. He had put up some decent numbers at previous stops, but nothing like what he did this year. And um, I mean, I've, I've seen that happen so many times over the years. So there's been a player who wasn't anywhere to be thought of. And then you look, he has a great year at double A. And then you look a year later, you know, seven months, eight months later, the next year, and they're in the big leagues. Um, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with David VR, but I think that he definitely drove his stock up this year. You know, it's uh, the diamonds, a tough place to hit. Uh, I don't begin to pretend to be an expert on, uh, new analytics and next level stats, though I try to learn and, and understand more of them. But I know that VR led the league in weighted runs created, which is uh, takes it takes some ballpark factors into account. Uh, but it, I think that that said a lot about the great year that he had. Uh, you know, he got a little streaky. There was a, there was a little bit of a slump there in the middle of the year, which a lot of guys have. But you know, he crushed the franchise home run record. He did it in a season that was. Uh, that was 40 games or excuse me, 20 games shorter than a normal year. And, uh, and put up a lot of other great numbers showed, showed a lot off at third base. I think that uh, he could end up being one of those stories down the road where, you know, this guy who was nowhere on a top 30 list or anything like that ends up going on to be a, a good major league contributor based on, you know, and, and that the part where he started to get some eyeballs was the part where he showed, what he could do it double a and, uh, He's he's a fun player to watch. I'm a big fan of watching David VR play baseball. Yeah, he's an 11th round draft pick, like you're saying. And uh, yeah, it's it's cool to see guys come out of nowhere, have that success, and hopefully it trans it, it just continues to translate and and happen for him. But uh, Sam Long was a guy. So I, I finally got to a game this past season for the first time in at least a couple of years, and uh, I happened to be at the game that Sam Long pitched back in late May. I think it was against Bowie and he was in the majors like a few weeks, I think like a few weeks later. So were you, uh, what did you think about a guy like Sam long and obviously going up to the majors and getting his, his feet wet there? Were you surprised that his, uh, I guess, ascension into, I think it was triple a and then into the majors. I know based on needs of teams and whatever situations that kind of stuff happens, but did you kind of see that forecasted for a guy like that so quickly anyway? Yeah, Long's adventure through the minor leagues, uh, those are some of my favorite stories. Guys who've been, you know, they've, they've been let go by teams. Uh, Sam Long had gone through several organizations and he even had an entire year where he wasn't playing. He didn't pitch at all. And, uh, you know, especially coming off of a non-season in 2020, going into this year, I don't think any of us really knew what to expect with him. But, uh, yeah, watching him rise so quickly to the majors and get his shot and he had a lot of success in the big leagues early too the first few outings that he had the major leagues he was very strong very sharp very strong and uh love i love seeing that uh it's super cool to see you know the day that he made his major league debut it was uh, uh the giants were playing a day game and they threw the game up before the stadium opened before anybody came in while the pitchers were out stretching you know his teammates from just a few weeks before that here in double a uh, we're, we're watching and cheering along as, as he picked up his first major league strikeout and put up his 
first inning and things like that. And th that's one of my favorite things to see. I love those success stories of guys who persevered through some, uh, through uh, some adversity like Long did. Uh, Connor Overton's another one who's from right here in Richmond. Uh, Ovi, you know, he was drafted. He had Tommy John drafted by the Marlins. Uh, let go, ended up in indie ball, ended up with the Nationals, had some more injuries, uh, ended up with the Giants, got let go, ended up in indie ball again, uh, then gets signed by the Blue Jays, and then he loses 2020 to no season. Not sure what's going to happen with uh, with Toronto. And then uh, Blue Jays end up bringing him back, and he makes it to the big leagues, and he had some success there. Then he gets DFA without ever allowing a run, which I thought was pretty, pretty funny, and he ends up getting picked up by the Pirates and had some good outings there, too. So I love those stories like that, uh, the guys who, who didn't necessarily have a straight path climbing up the ladder, but eventually get there because it's, so, it's got to be so much sweeter for those guys, and they finally get an opportunity to walk out of the major league field. Oh, yeah, especially when they have their opportunity, let alone in the major league or in the regular season in the major leagues, but even like maybe in a playoff moment or something crazy like that, and it's like, look at this guy who went through all this, and now here he is delivering a huge hit or big big strikeout or something but uh how did you like the uh so you kind of alluded to it before the season was a bit it was abbreviated right I know it started late and then it ended a little bit later but they also were it was also um a bit abbreviated so how did you like the wasn't it like six game series the amount of games for a team in that in that specific series it was like six game series or something like that wasn't it yeah, it was uh, the way the new schedule is structured. Uh, we have every Monday off for the most part. Next year will be a little different because the 4th of July is on a Monday, so that changes some. So next year we'll have two three-game series. They're both against Bowie. Everything else will be six-game series. I personally am not a huge fan of seeing the same team for six straight days uh, and seeing a team like once a season. Um, this is just all my selfish opinion. You could ask some players and some farm directors or coaches, staff members, and they might say something entirely different. But uh, I like having shorter series multiple times a year because, you know, we didn't see, for an example, in 2021, we didn't see the Erie Seawolves until late in the season. The day before our first time finally seeing Erie, uh, the Tigers promoted Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green and several other players that I personally wanted to get a chance to see play in double a some big name prospects uh but teams are so different in uh in may than they are in august so i like to get to see uh again personally selfishly those yeah. players get that, that yeah. are on different teams at different times but uh going into 2022 we'll go uh the season's going to be longer than 2020 but a little bit shorter than it was in the past they've shortened the double a schedules to 138 games uh, when i first started this level is 142 and it had dropped down to 140 in recent years. And so now they're going down to 138. Uh, but it stretches longer across the calendar. So we're going to start in early April again, and then it will go into mid-September. And uh, whereas before, you might have one off day every 30 calendar days. Now there's an off day every week, uh, every Monday, except for around the 4th of July, where they had to kind of change some things to get home games for teams on, the, on Independence Day. But uh it's going to it's going to be the six game series again for the most part more off time for uh the players the coaches the front office staff members to rest and recover uh which is always important during the marathon that is a a long baseball season but um i'm not a huge fan of the six game series i am a big fan of having a day off every week instead of about one game one day off a month that's true yeah that's true i get that so i know it's the off season obviously for 
for the players and everybody, but I know you're not having an off season necessarily. Like you're still doing your, what's your job in the off season when you're not the, the, the broadcaster in, in season? Yeah, here with the Flying Squirrels, there isn't an off season. There's a non baseball season, and there's a baseball season. <laughs> but uh, we're very much a 365 day a year organization. So uh, over the last few weeks, there've been uh, a lot of tidying up some 2021 things. I have some other res- responsibilities in the office uh, beyond, of course, just the broadcasting and PR and uh, that kind of stuff. So I've been working on getting some relationships ready for 2022 for some some things that I deal with, uh, talking through some details for some stuff that we're going to do for 2022. Um, you know, we're very visible in the community in a lot of events, so uh, occasionally I'll pop out and help with some of those. Some people from our front office staff ro- rotate through going out and being visible in the community and trying to make impacts in different ways that we can. You know, we'll, we'll have some events coming up that uh, that we'll be doing, but mostly right now in, you know, getting toward the later side of October, I'm personally I'm still just kind of wrapping up some 2021 stuff from a baseball standpoint and some other ends. Uh, but we're we are mostly um, 1000 miles an hour rolling toward April of 2022 and uh, and planning and getting as much together as we can for this 2022 season to make it as successful as it can be, um, you know, working on uh, bringing on some new staff members, which is exciting, getting some new faces in there. And, uh, and I mean, it's, I don't just, a lot of people ask like, Oh, you looks like you have the whole winter fall and winter all. No, I still work a, I still work a full-time schedule yep. <laughs> during the off season. Yep. I am a 12 month a year, full-time employee here. And, uh, but it, the, the tasks vary from day to day. And certainly the, the workload in October, November is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit less of a workload than, you know, in the middle of July. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember just from an intern perspective, uh, we had our like nine to five hours and then we had the game. So I'd be there from nine till or eight till probably midnight. But obviously in the off season, it's like a normal nine to five type hour at that point and not beyond that with games and stuff. Yeah. It, I mean, it varies. There's a lot of flexibility in the off season for us, especially here in Richmond, uh, Parney and our, our GM Ben Rothrock have done a really great job of making sure that we get a chance to rest and recover in the off season and maybe take some time to do some other things. Um, and to make sure that we're that we're taken care of, they've put a lot of value in taking care of the people, which isn't always the case in the sports world. Uh, you know, that's that's a, an area that uh, makes Richmond unique compared to some places. But yeah, I mean, certainly not as much these days because again, the Flying Squirrels and some other teams have started to do a better job of taking care of people who are who who make that make the operation happen on a daily basis. But yeah. There were times during my career where I was getting the ballpark at 9 a.m. and I was leaving at 1 or 2 in the morning, getting a nap and coming right back. And uh, unlike a lot of other people in the front office, I was doing it seven days a week for the most part because I'm going on the road with the team too, uh, where everybody else when the team's on the road is, you know, working 9 to 5 and having the weekends off. <laughs> but right. yeah. Um, yeah, it's still, I mean, there's there's no 40-hour work week during the season. It is, uh, you know, for some of us, it's, 80 90 100 uh at least so um it's it's definitely a when they talk about it being a grind during the baseball season that's not an exaggeration yeah right exactly have you been watching the mlb postseason uh this past uh few weeks 
Yeah, pretty much every game. Um, you know, I am a, a baseball fan. It's one of the things I have to do quite a bit is to, is to try and stay in touch with the fan side of, of baseball because when you get to working in baseball, you can get a little bit jaded on it sometimes. But I've done a lot of work in the last few years to stay connected to that fan side and to remind myself about the uh, the 12-year-old who would think what I get to do is so cool. But, but yeah, I've been watching the playoffs. Um, obviously, I was pulling hard for the Giants. Um, in that great series against the Dodgers. It's such a shame that it ended the way that it did. Uh, and uh, I think all of us know that that wasn't a swing, that check swing. Uh, what is what is a swing? We don't know what a swing is, but like that, that Supreme Court ruling uh, several decades ago on an entirely different topic, uh, you know it when you see it. Yep. And I think most of us know that was not a swing, and it, it really is a shame to have uh, such a great season and uh, that way, the Giants, especially when people say, well, they were down a run with two outs and two strikes in the ninth inning. So was, was there that much uh, of a chance for them anyway? Well, if, yeah, if you've been watching their games over the last several months, then, yeah, they've made a lot happen. Never uh, know, with, yeah. You know, two outs in the ninth inning. It's certainly against the Dodgers going back to, I think it was July, when uh, they had Kenley, Kenley Jansen's number there for a few weeks. So uh, that was a shame. It's been a lot of fun objectively watching this. Atlanta and Los Angeles series and this Boston and Houston series. Um, I don't really have a ton of rooting interest in either one of those a little bit, a little bit over some, I'm pulling for some players. I always like to pull for, for players, uh, guys who I've gotten to know over the years. So uh, there have been a few guys that I'm, I'm pulling for in those series individually to do well. Um, You know, I grew up a Braves fan, but working in baseball, that, that fandom is long gone. Uh, It's been gone for a long time. Um, so it's been, I I'm happy to see that both series are, are locked in pretty close, you know, uh, two, one in the NLCS. And I think it's two, two now in the ALCS. Uh, I hope they both go seven and I hope the world series goes seven and ends on a walk off in the 12th inning or something in, in the game seven. So that's how I, that's how I feel about them. Yeah. I don't want an ending on like this weird check swing or some crazy guy. Can you imagine if it ended on like a review? I mean, it happened in 2013 with the Red Sox Cardinals. I remember one of those games ended on a review or something crazy like that. So hopefully not like a clinching scenario to just kind of ease or uh, to eliminate the, uh, you know, when a team wins and they go crazy on the field, you wouldn't want to lose that on a weird review or some kind of weird play. Yeah, unfortunately, we're at a point where the umpiring has been a topic of discussion, and it shouldn't be. You know, the umpire should just be like a piece of furniture in the game. Uh, they shouldn't be part of the story. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, inconsistent strike zones and a certain umpire missing 26 strikes versus balls in a game the other night, I think it was. And uh, that's that's certainly not what you want to see. And it, It's frustrating for uh, the teams who work so hard to get into a position to where they're trying to – to make something special happen and the season is so long and to have it come down to uh, you know a couple of calls here and there going one way or another is is uh it's got to be just a gut punch internally within those organizations um obviously there are calls throughout the year that that swing one way or the other but they're so much more magnified during the postseason and um it's uh i'm sure that there are some things that are going to be addressed during this upcoming off season this upcoming non-baseball season <laughs> Are you in favor of the robo umps? It's complicated. Uh, if you had asked me that several years ago, I would have said definitely no. Um, you know, I've, I've had conversations with umpires, and they just they want to get it right. 
you know, most umpires obviously don't, there are some umpires who, you know, because they're human, maybe they do kind of want the spotlight and want to be part of the show, but most of them don't want any attention because almost anytime an umpire is getting attention, it's for something bad. Um, they want it, they want to get it right. Uh, and, um, you know, I, we've gotten to the point now where the technology has evolved enough to where even in the minors, like I have the strike zone in front of me on the, on one of my screens in the booth. And I know when the umpires are on and when they're off and more often than not, they're, they're okay. Um, there are some close ones that, that they get. Most of them are at least, or a lot of them are at least consistent, but it's, I know that they've been trying it in the Atlantic league and some other places and they're trying it right now in the fall league. I'd be curious to see, uh, to hear what the people who are actually involved in the games, the people who've been around the game for a while uh, think about, think about it i don't really have an opinion one way or the other um i'd love to say let's continue having human umpires calling balls and strikes but um they they have to get it right <laughs> like i think that let's just let's get it right i don't think we'll ever get to a point where there aren't four umpires on the field because obviously some of that stuff you can't call but uh i think that in the Atlantic League, I think what they're doing is they have the uh, somebody has the track man or whatever they're using up in the press box. And they're on a phone. The umpire has an AirPod in his ear, and the guy's telling him ball or strike, and the umpire's making the call based off of that. Um, it seems very strange, but uh, you know, it's the there's more of a magnifying glass on you now than there ever has been. You got to get it right because we all have access to this data that shows us whether or not you were right. So. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. It's hard when you have that box on broadcasts that show basically the strike zone or on Twitter they have that account where it shows the umpire, like grades the umpire after games. So it's cool to see that, but then it's like, wow, how egregious was this call? Now we can see it live. The, the instant reaction is is everywhere with Twitter and everything. So before that, bad calls always happened, but we probably weren't quite aware of just how bad it might have been or how it looked. But you're right. Umpires are human. Most of them... I mean, all of them, I'm sure, do not want to get it wrong and don't want the attention. But obviously, it's just sometimes it just it is what it is. And it's been it is tough when those kind of things happen. But yeah, it's it's it should be the game should be settled. Every strike, every single strike in the game or ball is so important. The game should be settled between this player and this player or these nine and these nine making a pitch or not making a pitch or making the play not making a play and uh, it shouldn't come down to uh, to, uh, in uh, naturally because he's a human subjective person uh, making, making a call one way or the other. But then there are some things that just need to be defined uh, as well that are out of the umpire's control. Like what is a swing? (laughs) You know, it's uh, go back to that giant, the game five of the NLDS between the Dodgers and the giants. What's a swing? I don't know. Again, you know, when you see it, or, uh, you know, some rules that, like in the Red Sox-Rays series in the ALDS, the ball that bounced off the outfield or whatever the fence, uh, it's hard to imagine how that is a is – a, um, it doesn't award an extra base. Just like I don't understand how that's not a play where if, like, if a shortstop fields the ball, throws to first, and it misses the first baseman and goes out of play, those guys get an extra base. I mean, right. where's the line between throwing it out of play versus knocking it out of play? Um, so there's some stuff that certainly needs to be cleaned up there, but you can't pin that on the umpires. They were just making the call as it's, as it's written in the rule book. 
Before we close, shout out to my guy, Jeff Young. He covers the Giants for Around the Foghorn for Fansided, and he helped me with the David BR question. He's awesome. I was just thinking, too, when you're talking about players that you're rooting for, Logan Webb's a guy that was in Augusta when I was down there. It was really cool to see him have success and doing what he's doing, and Phil Bickford on the other side for the Dodgers now. He was a guy that came through Augusta. So it is cool seeing those guys. and just It's like, wow, I never would have could have thought that this guy would be where he's at now, you know, on that stage. Yeah. Logan Webb was, he's such a great kid. He was here with us in Richmond, my first season here in 2019. Um, great pitcher, obviously. And that changeup has just gotten, I mean, it is, it is one of the best pitches. I think it was one of the best pitches in the late part of this season. Anybody had, uh, I'm so happy for Webb to be in the big leagues and having some success. He had some adversity when he was here in 2019 that he had to fight through and overcome. Um, and has has become such a good pitcher, and he's he's such a he's such a good kid, such a good young man. Uh, so I'm happy for him. Um, and of course, there's several other players. I think Richmond only had five players on the Giants roster in the NLDS. It was Crawford, uh, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Logan Webb, um, Stephen Duggar, and um, and Austin Slater were the five who came through Richmond. Webb was the only one that was here when I was here. With Richmond, I got to see a lot of the other guys when I was with Altoona for several years before that, uh, Slater and Duggar. But, um, you know, even around the rest of the, around the rest of the playoffs, you know, the Rays were there. I was on, I worked with teams that had Austin Meadows and Jordan Luplo. So it was really cool to see Jordan Luplo hit that grand slam uh, for, for Tampa in that series um, against Boston. And uh, Austin Meadows had some big hits and a, a couple of, good guys as well. Kendall Graveman's pitching out of the bullpen for the Astros. He was on the Lansing Lugnuts in 2014 when I was there. Uh, and uh, it was another guy who kind of shot up the rankings after making a bit of a name for himself. Um, there are just so many, yeah, so many guys to, to, to pull for out there this year. Yeah, Brian Reynolds is a guy that uh, I saw him briefly with Augusta, and then he was traded to Pittsburgh, and he's been a star hitter. I mean, he was hit, he was hitting it like crazy when he was just in single A, for those well, about like two weeks and then he was up to to high a san jose and he's had a successful career um it's really cool to see these guys do what they do yeah i got to see reynolds in altoona another one that um he was there right after the trade from from the giants in i think 2018 and yeah what a ball player uh what what a uh i mean very very quiet guy but a lot of fun a lot of fun to watch play when Reynolds and Adam, when it, when Reynolds and Adam Frazier were together on the Pirates, and that you know Frazier's been traded now to San Diego, um, but I remember thinking like, uh, from a media standpoint, uh, if you ever had both of them sitting up at a podium together, you might get about five total words in that entire presser uh, between those two. Both, uh, you know, guys that I really like. They don't have a lot to say. A couple of Southern guys who are very quiet and really good ball players, <laughs> but. Uh, get those two in a in a press conference room together. You're not going to have much sound to use. <laughs> we'll close on our Cooperstown trip. So you went a little bit before I got there, but had, had you you been there before? Or was that your first time? I've been there several times. I had never been there until I started working in this league with Altoona uh, several years ago. But on some of the trips to Binghamton, um, I've gotten to go up to to Cooperstown. I've probably been there four or five times now. Uh, it was such an incredible place. Um, we shot, we actually shot a segment for one of our flying squirrels insider episodes up there in 2019 with Jalen Miller. We took Jalen up there. During oh, the trip I know Jalen. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he would have been yeah. in Augusta that year. Um, but Jalen, he's with the Braves now. Jalen was part of the first ever uh, game where there were two players on the same team who hit for the cycle. That was when they were with San Jose oh, in 2018. Yeah. It was him and Gio Bruce. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they had a couple of mementos in the library in Cooperstown. So we took Jalen up there to not only see all the great stuff that's in the museum, but uh, they took us back and, Jalen got to see the scorecard from that game and a couple of other things that they have back there. And we, you know, we did, we did a piece for flying squirrels insider on that. It's such a cool place. That was a really cool thing to, to be, uh, to be able to get there and see and tell that story with Jalen. But um, yeah, every time I go, it's, it never gets old. I, I go every year if I can, uh, you know, for, even if it's just to pop in for a couple hours on a game day when we're in Binghamton, uh, you know, before the game. Um, which is about an hour away, so we can get up there and maybe get three, four hours. Which is, there's never enough time. There's so much to see there, and the people there are so great. Um, I actually met. Uh, they had somebody working there uh, at the front entrance uh, at the at the desk the last time I was there this past summer. Uh, she was from Richmond, <laughs> and uh, I was wearing my flying squirrels jacket or something when I walked in, and uh, we started talking about the flying squirrels. So don't ever let anybody tell you the flying squirrels aren't worldwide. Oh, that had that that does that logo is so awesome, and it's it's yeah, a lot of people seem to know about the squirrels just through what they've been able to do the last several years now. And yeah, Jalen Miller's a guy. He was one of my. He might have been either my first interview or or one of my first interviews with the with the jackets and. Uh, I'm going to try to get him on soon. I think we're going to do something soon. But, uh, yeah, I do remember that whole thing when when uh, he uh, had some stuff in the Hall of Fame, which was really cool. But, yeah, and thanks for answering my DM because I was like, oh, I'll be there. Can you give me some, like, tips or whatever about the area? Because I went up there, like, a couple weeks later for the Hall of Fame induction, and it all worked out like I had hoped. It was just kind of, like, uh, not stressful, but just, like, I got to – I had to – it was so, uh, like, you know, I had to get there this early and – had it all all the logistics had to be planned out but luckily it all worked out well so i've never been for an induction i'd love to go to that i cannot imagine how chaotic that place was on Derek jeter's induction <laughs> weekend and not to shortchange larry walker oh but, no yeah no uh, of course but i mean did, did, how did it go for you was it was it like the coolest thing you've ever gotten to be uh gotten to gotten to go to yeah it was really cool and it's like honestly i it, there were there. I don't know how many people were there. Let's say twenty thousand, and it wasn't even a normal crowd because it was not in July like normal. It was in September. It wasn't as mm -hmm. hot, obviously. So, uh, it honestly, thinking back on it, it wasn't. I mean, sure, you could say it was crazy just because of all the people, but it was actually really. It worked out really smoothly. Um, I got there, parked at the lot at like seven thirty a.m. to be there for one o'clock essentially or one thirty. But I knew I had to get there early just to park, find my spot. And then, yeah, it all, I, it was just kind of a guessing game. I, I tried to research and plan ahead as much as possible, but I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to work out one way or another. And luckily it worked out really easily. Yeah. One day I'll get up there for an induction. Uh, it's hard to do that during baseball season. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, it was really cool to have you on and you know, it's been really cool to connect with a lot of the local Richmond flying squirrels broadcasters. Like I had Sam Ravitch on a few years ago, of course, I just chatted with John Laser, who's doing Virginia Tech, and now talking with you. So really cool to do that. Yeah, Laser is a tough act to follow. I mean, I, I should have been the—I probably should have been the warm-up act for him. I actually have. Where is it? I was going through some stuff earlier today, and uh, you know, he's been selling those T-shirts with the uh, with his his touchdown 
catchphrase, uh, you know, about clean mountain air. I can't find it now. I just had it a few minutes ago, but I have, um, oh, here it is right here. Yeah. Hey, hey, Lays, uh, thanks for the signed card. <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the autograph. I'll put it, I'll put it back here next to Hank Aaron. There you go. I'm going to have to show him that too. I'll have to clip this video. If you want me, if, if I can use any of the video, I'll, have, I'll clip that so we can see that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I know we were talking for a while, so thanks for, uh, putting up with me and uh it was awesome to chat and get a lot of good info yeah absolutely thanks for having me it was a lot of fun three two one zero zero and liftoff